CD8. How will this work? said Sakarissa, trying to look intelligent. It was much better to concentrate on something like this than think about strange men getting ready to invade again. Slowly, mumbled Good Mountain, fiddling with the press. You realise this means it'll take us much longer to print each paper? You wanted colour? I give you colour, said Otto sulkily. You never said crick. Sakarissa looked at the experimental iconograph. Most pictures were painted in colour these days. Only really cheap imps painted in black and white, even though Otto insisted that monochrome was an art form in itself. But printing colour... Four imps were sitting on the edge of it, passing a very small cigarette from hand to hand, and watching, with interest, the work on the press. Three of them wore goggles of coloured glass, red, blue and yellow. But not green, she said. So, if something's green, how have I got this right? Guthrie there sees the blue in the green and paints that on the plate in blue. One of the imps gave her a wave. And Anton sees the yellow and paints that. And when you run it through the press... Very, very slowly, muttered Good Mountain. It'll be quicker to go round everyone's house and tell them the news. Sakarissa looked at the test sheets that had been done of the recent fire. It was definitely a fire with red, yellow and orange flames, and there was some, yes, blue sky, and the golems were a pretty good reddish-brown, but the flesh tones, well, flesh-coloured was a bit of a tricky one in Ankh-Morpork, where, if you picture subject, it could be any colour except maybe light blue, but the faces of many of the bystanders did suggest that a particularly virulent plague had passed through the city. Possibly the multi-coloured death, she decided. This is only the beginning, said Otto. We will get better. Better, maybe, but we're as fast as we can go, said Good Mountain. We can do maybe two hundred an hour, maybe two hundred and fifty, but someone's going to be looking for their fingers before this day's out. Sorry, but we're doing the best we can. If we had a date or redesign and rebuild properly... Print a few hundred and do the rest in black and white, then, said Sakarissa, and sighed. At least it'll catch people's attention. Once they see it, the inquirer will work out how it was done, said Otto. Then at least we'll go down with our colours flying, said Sakarissa. She shook her head as a little dust floated down from the ceiling. Ark at that, said Bodney. Can you feel the floor shake? That's their big presses again. They're undermining us everywhere, said Sakarissa, and we've worked so hard, it's so unfair. I'm surprised the floor takes it, said Good Mountain. It's not as though anything's on solid ground round here. Undermining us, eh? said Bodney. One or two of the dwarfs looked up when he said this. Bodney said something in dwarfish. Good Mountain snapped something in reply. A couple of other dwarfs joined in. Excuse me, said Sakarissa tartly. The lads were wondering about going in and having a look, said Good Mountain. I tried going in the other day, said Sakarissa, but the troll on the door was most impolite. Dwarfs! "'Approach matters differently,' said Good Mountain. Sakarissa saw a movement. Bodney had pulled his axe out from under the bench. It was a traditional dwarf axe. One side was a pickaxe for the extraction of interesting minerals, and the other side was a war axe, because the people who own the land with the valuable minerals in it can be so unreasonable sometimes. "'You're not going to attack anyone, are you?' she said, shocked. "'Well, someone did say that if you want a good story, you have to dig and dig,' said Bodney. "'We're just going to go for a walk.' "'In the cellar?' said Sakarissa as they headed for the steps. "'Yeah, a walk in the dark,' 
said Bodney. Goodmountain sighed. "'The rest of us will get on with the paper, shall we?' he said. After a minute or two there was the sound of a few axe-blows below them, and then someone swore in dwarfish very loudly. "'I'm going to see what they're doing,' said Sacharissa, unable to resist any more, and hurried away. The bricks that had once filled the old doorway were already down when she got there. Since the stones of Ankh-Morpork were recycled over the generations, no one had ever seen the point of making strong mortar, and especially not for blocking up an old doorway. Sand, dirt, water and phlegm would do the trick, they always felt. They'd always done up to now, after all. The dwarfs were peering into the darkness beyond. Each one had stuck a candle on his helmet. "'I thought your man said they filled up the old street,' said Bodney. "'He's not my man,' said Sacharissa evenly. "'What's in there?' One of the dwarfs had stepped through with a lantern. "'There's like tunnels,' he said. "'The old pavements,' said Sacharissa. "'It's like this, all around this area, I think. "'After the big floods they built up the sides of the road with timber and filled it in, "'but they left the pavements on either side because not all the properties had built up yet "'and people objected.' "'What?' said Bodney. "'You mean the roads were higher than the pavements?' "'Oh, yes,' said Sacharissa, following him into the gap. "'But what happened if a horse pi- if a horse made water on the street?' "'I'm sure I don't know,' sniffed Sacharissa. "'How did people cross the street?' "'Ladders.' "'Oh, come on, miss. "'No, they used ladders and a few tunnels. "'It wasn't going to be for very long, "'and then it was simpler just to put heavy slabs over the old pavements, "'and so there's these well-forgotten spaces.' "'There's rats up here,' said Dozy, who was wandering into the distance. "'Oh, damn,' said Bodney. "'Anyone brought the cutlery? "'Only joking, miss.' "'Hey, what do we have here?' "'He hacked at some planks which crumbled away under the blows. "'Someone didn't want to use a ladder,' he said, peering into another hole. "'It goes right under the street,' said Sacharissa. "'Looks like it. Must have been allergic to horses. "'And, uh, you can find your way?' "'I'm a dwarf. We are underground. Dwarf. Underground. What was your question again?' "'You're not proposing to hack through to the cellars of the Inquirer, are you?' said Sacharissa. "'Oh, us?' "'You are, aren't you?' "'We wouldn't do anything like that.' "'Yes, but you are, aren't you? That'd be tantamount to breaking in, wouldn't it?' "'Yes, and that's what you're planning to do, isn't it?' Bodney grinned. "'Well, a little bit. Just have a look round, you know.' "'Good.' "'What, you don't mind?' "'You're not going to kill anyone, are you?' "'Miss, we don't do that sort of thing.' Sacharissa looked a little disappointed. She'd been a respectable young woman for some time. In certain people that means there's a lot of damned-up disreputability just waiting to burst out. Well, perhaps just make them a bit sorry, then. Yes, we can probably do that. The dwarfs were already creeping along the tunnel at the other side of the buried street. By the light of their torches she saw old frontages, bricked-up doors, windows filled with rubble. This should be about the right place, said Bodney, pointing to a faint rectangle filled with more low-grade brick. "'You're just going to break in,' said Sacharissa. "'We'll say we were lost,' said Bodney. "'Lost underground? Dwarfs?' "'Eh, all right, we'll say we're drunk. People will believe that. "'Okay, lads.' The rotten bricks fell away. Light streamed out. In the cellar beyond, a man looked up from his desk, mouth open. Sacharissa squinted through the dust. "'You?' she said. "'Oh, it's you, miss,' said Cut-Me-Own-Throat Dibbler. "'Hello, boys, am I glad to see you?' The crew were just leaving when Gaspard arrived at the gallop. 
He took one look at the other dogs that were huddled around the fire, then dived under the trailing folds of foul old Ron's dreadful coat and whined. It took some time for the whole of the crew to understand what was going on. These were, after all, people who could argue and expectorate and creatively misunderstand their way through a three-hour argument after someone said good morning. It was the duck man who finally got the message. "'These men are hunting terriers,' he said. "'Right, it was the bloody newspaper. You can't bloody trust people who write in newspapers.' "'They threw these doggies in the river.' "'Right,' said Gaspard. "'It's all gone fruit-shaped.' "'Well, we can protect you too.' "'Yeah, but I've got to be out and about. "'I'm a figure in this town. I can't lie low. I need a disguise. "'Look, we could be looking at fifty dollars here, right? "'But you need me to get it.' "'The crew were impressed with this. "'In their cashless economy, fifty dollars was a fortune.' "'Blow it,' said foul old Ron. "'Dog's a dog.' said Arnold sideways, on account of being called a dog. <coughs> crowed Coffin Henry. That's true, said the duck man. A false beard isn't going to work. Well, your huge brains had better come up with something, because I'm staying put until you do, said Gaspode. I've seen these men. They are not nice. There was a rumble from altogether Andrews. His face flickered as the various personalities reshuffled themselves, and then settled into the waxy bulges of Lady Hermione. "'We could disguise him,' she said. "'What could you disguise a dog as?' said the duckman. "'A cat?' "'A dog is not just a dog,' said Lady Hermione. "'I think I have an idea.' The dwarfs were in a huddle when William got back. The epicentre of the huddle, its huddly, turned out to be Mr Dibbler, who looked just like anyone would look if they'd been harangued. William had never seen anyone to whom the word harangued could be so justifiably applied. It meant someone who had been talked at by Saccharissa for twenty minutes. "'Is there a problem?' he said. "'Hello, Mr Dibbler.' "'Tell me, William,' said Saccharissa, while pacing slowly around Dibbler's chair, "'if stories were food, what kind of food would Goldfish Eats Cat be?' "'What?' William stared at Dibbler. Realisation dawned. "'I think it would be a sort of long, thin kind of food,' he said. "'Filled with rubbish of suspicious origin?' "'Now there's no need for anyone to take that tone,' Dibbler began, and then subsided under Saccharissa's glare. "'Yes, but rubbish that's sort of attractive. You'd keep on eating it even though you wished you weren't,' said William. "'What's going on here?' "'Look, I didn't want to do it,' Dibbler protested. "'Do what?' "'Mr. Dibbler's been writing those stories for the Inquirer,' said Saccharissa. "'I mean, no one believes what they read in the paper, right?' said Dibbler. William pulled up a chair and sat straddling it, resting his arms on the back. "'So, Mr. Dibbler, when did you start pissing in the Fountain of Truth?' "'William!' snapped Saccharissa. "'Look, times haven't been good, see,' said Dibbler. "'And I thought—' This news business, well, people like to hear about stuff from a long way away, you know? Like in the Almanac. Plague of giant weasels in Hershebar, said William. That's the style? Well, I thought, it doesn't sort of matter if they're, you know, really true. I mean, William's glassy grin was beginning to make Dibbler uncomfortable. I mean, they're nearly true, aren't they? Everyone knows that sort of thing happens. You didn't come to me, said William. Well, of course not. "'Everyone knows you're a bit... a bit unimaginative about that sort of thing. "'You mean I like to know that things have actually happened?' "'That's it, yes. 
Mr. Carney says people won't notice the difference anyway. He doesn't like you very much, Mr. De Word. He's got wandering hands, said Sacharissa. You can't trust a man like that. William pulled the latest copy of the Inquirer towards him and picked a story at random. "'Man stolen by demons,' he said. "'This refers to Mr. Ronnie Trust-Me-Begholder, "'known to owe Chryso Praise the Troll "'more than two thousand dollars last seen buying a very fast horse.' "'Well, where do the demons fit in?' "'Well, he could have been stolen by demons,' said Dibbler. "'It could happen to anybody.' "'What you mean, then, is that there is no evidence "'that he wasn't stolen by demons. "'That way,' "'People can make up their own minds,' said Dibbler. "'That's what Mr. Carney says. "'People should be allowed to choose,' he said. "'To choose what's true.' "'He doesn't clean his teeth properly either,' said Sacharissa. "'I mean, I'm not one of those people who think cleanliness is next to godliness, "'but there are limits.' "'Classically, very few people have considered that cleanliness is next to godliness, "'apart from in a very sternly abridged dictionary.' A rank loincloth and hair in an advanced state of matted entanglement have generally been the badges of office of prophets whose injunction to disdain earthly things starts with soap. Dibbler shook his head sadly. I'm losing my touch, he said. Imagine me working for someone. I must have been mad. It's the cold weather getting to me, that's what it is. Even wages, he said the word with a shudder, looked attractive. Do you know... "'he added, in a horrified voice. "'He was telling me what to do. "'Next time I'll have a quiet lie down until the feeling goes away.' "'You are an immoral opportunist, Mr Dibbler,' said William. "'It's worked so far.' "'Can you sell some advertising for us?' said Sacharissa. "'I'm not going to work for anyone ag- "'On commission,' snapped Sacharissa. "'What? You want to employ him?' said William. "'Why not?' "'You can tell as many lies as you like if it's advertising. "'That's allowed,' said Sacharissa. "'Please, we need the money.' "'Commission, eh?' said Dibbler, rubbing his unshaven chin. "'Like, fifty per cent for you two and fifty per cent for me, too?' "'We'll discuss it, shall we?' said Good Mountain, patting him on the shoulder. "'Dibbler winced. "'When it came to hard bargaining, dwarfs were diamond-tipped. "'Have I got a choice?' he mumbled. Good Mountain leaned forward. His beard was bristling. He wasn't currently holding a weapon, but Dibbler could see, as it were, the great big axe that wasn't there. "'Absolutely,' he said. "'Oh,' said Dibbler. "'So what would I be selling exactly?' "'Space,' said Sacharissa. Dibbler beamed again. "'Just space? Nothing? Oh, I can do that. I can sell nothing like anything.' He shook his head sadly. "'It's only when I try to sell something that everything goes wrong.' "'How did you come to be here, Mr. Dibbler?' William asked. He was not happy with the answer. "'That sort of thing could work both ways,' he said. "'You can't just dig into other people's property.' He glared at the dwarfs. "'Mr. Bodney, I want that hole blocked up right now, understand? "'We only—' "'Yes, yes, you did it for the best, and now I want it bricked up properly.' I want the hole to look as though it had never been there, thank you. I don't want anyone coming up the cellar ladder that didn't climb down it. Right now, please. I think I'm on to a real story, said William, as the disgruntled dwarfs filed away. I think I'm going to see Waffles. I've got... 
As he pulled out his notebook, something dropped onto the floor with a tinkle. "'Oh, yes, and I got the key to our town house,' he said. "'You wanted a dress.' "'It's a bit late,' said Sacharissa. "'I'd forgotten all about it, to tell the truth.' "'Why not go and have a look while everyone else is busy? "'You could take Rocky, too, you know, to be on the safe side. "'But the place is empty. "'My father stays at his club if he has to come to town. "'Go on. "'There's got to be more to life than correcting copy.' "'Sacharissa looked uncertainly at the key in her hand. "'My sister has quite a lot of dresses,' said William. "'You want to go to the ball, don't you?' "'I suppose Mrs. Hotbed could alter it for me "'if I take it to her in the morning,' said Sacharissa, "'expressing mildly peeved reluctance "'whilst her body language begged to be persuaded. "'That's right,' said William. "'And I'm sure you can find someone to do your hair properly.' "'Sacharissa's eyes narrowed. "'It's true, you know. "'You have got an amazing way with words,' she said. "'What are you going to do?' "'I'm going,' said William, "'to see a dog about a man.' Sergeant Angua peered up at Vimes through the steam from the bowl in front of her. "'Sorry about this, sir,' she said. "'His feet won't touch the ground,' said Vimes. "'You can't arrest him, sir,' said Captain Carrot, putting a fresh towel over Angua's head. "'Oh? Can't arrest him for assaulting an officer, eh?' "'Well, that's where it gets tricky, doesn't it, sir?' said Angua. "'You're an officer, Sergeant, whatever shape you happen to be currently in.' "'Yes, but it's always been a bit convenient to let the werewolf thing stay a rumour, sir,' said Carrot. "'Don't you think so? "'Mr. De Word writes things down. "'Angua and I aren't particularly keen on that. "'Those who need to know, know. "'Then I'll ban him from doing it.' "'How, sir?' Vimes looked a little deflated. "'You can't tell me that as commander of police I can't stop some little t t "'some idiot from writing down anything he likes.' "'Oh, no, sir, of course you can.' "'But I'm not sure you can stop him writing down "'that you stopped him writing things down,' said Carrot. "'I'm amazed. Amazed. "'She's your, uh, your... friend,' said Angua, "'taking another deep sniff of the steam. "'But Carrot's right, Mr Vimes. "'I don't want this going any further. "'It was my fault for underestimating him. "'I walked right into it. "'I'll be fine in an hour or two. "'I saw what you were like when you came in,' said Vimes. "'You were a mess.' "'It was a shock.' The nose just shuts down. It was like walking round a corner and running into foul old Rod. Yea, God's that bad? Maybe not quite as bad as that. Let it lie, sir, please. He's a quick learner, our Mr. De Word, said Vimes, sitting down at his desk. He's got a pen and a printing press, and everyone acts like he's suddenly a major player. Well, he's going to have to learn a bit more. He doesn't want us watching. Well, we won't any more. "'He can reap what he sows for a while. "'We've got more than enough other things to do, heaven knows.' "'But he is technically... "'See this sign on my desk, Captain. "'See it, Sergeant? "'It says Commander Vimes. "'That means the buck starts here. "'It was a command you just got. "'Now, what else is new?' "'Carrot nodded. "'Nothing good, sir. "'No one's found the dog. "'The guilds are all battening down. "'Mr Scrope has been getting a lot of visitors.' Oh, and High Priest Ridcully is telling everyone that he thinks Lord Vetinardi went mad because the day before he'd been telling him about a plan to make lobsters fly through the air. Lobsters flying through the air, said Vimes flatly. And something about sending ships by semaphore, sir. Oh, dear. And what is Mr. Scrope saying? Apparently he says he's looking forward to a new era in our history and will put Ankh-Morpork back on the path of responsible citizenship, sir. Is that the same as the lobsters? "'It's political, sir. 
Apparently, he wants a return to the values and traditions that made the city great, sir. Does he know what those values and traditions were? said Vimes, aghast. I assume so, sir, said Carrot, keeping a straight face. Oh, my gods, I'd rather take a chance on the lobsters. It was sleeting again out of a darkening sky. The misbegot bridge was more or less empty. William lurked in the shadows, his hat pulled down over his eyes. Eventually, a voice out of nowhere said, "'So, you got your bit of paper?' "'Deep bone,' said William, startled out of the reverie. "'I'm sending a uh, guide for you to follow,' said the hidden informant. "'Name of... Uh, name of... Trixie Bell. "'Just you follow him and everything will be OK. "'Ready?' "'Yes.' "'Deep bone is watching me,' William thought. "'He must be really close.' "'Trixie Bell trotted out of the shadows.' It was a poodle, more or less. The staff at Le Poil du Chien, the doggy beauty salon, had done their very best, and a craftsman will give of his or her all if it means getting foul old Ron out of the shop any faster. They'd cut, blown, permed, crimped, primped, coloured, woven, shampooed, and the manicurist had locked herself in the lavatory and refused to come out. The result was... pink. The pinkness was only one aspect of the thing, but it was so pink that it dominated everything else, even the topiary effect's tail with the fluffy knob on the end. The front of the dog looked as though it had been fired through a large pink ball and had only got halfway. Then there was also the matter of the large glittery collar. It glittered altogether too much. Sometimes glass glitters more than diamonds because it has more to prove. All in all, the effect was not of a poodle, but of malformed poodleosity. That is to say, everything about it suggested poodle, except for the whole thing itself, which suggested walking away. Yip, it said. And there was something wrong with this too. William was aware that dogs like this yipped, but this one, he was sure, had said yip. There's a good, he began and finished, dog? Yip, yip. "'Yip, yip, sheesh, yip,' said the dog, and walked off. "'William wondered about the sheesh, but decided the dog must have sneezed. "'It trotted away through the slush and disappeared down an alley. "'A moment later its muzzle appeared round the corner. "'Yip, wine?' "'Oh, yes, sorry,' said William. "'Trixie Bell led the way down greasy steps to the old path that ran along the riverside. "'It was littered with rubbish, and anything that stays thrown away in Ankh-Morpork is real rubbish.' The sun seldom got down here, even on a fine day. The shadows contrived to be freezing and running with water at the same time. Nevertheless, there was a fire among the dark timbers under the bridge. William realised, as his nostrils shut down, that he was visiting the canting crew. The old towpath had been deserted to start with, but foul old Ron and the rest of them were the reason it stayed that way. They had nothing to steal. They had precious little even to keep. Occasionally the Beggar's Guild considered running them out of town, but without much enthusiasm. Even beggars need someone to look down on, and the crew were so far down that in a certain light they sometimes appeared to be on top. Besides, the Guild recognised craftsmanship when they saw it. No one could spit and ooze like Coffin Henry, no one could be as legless as Arnold Sideways, and nothing in the world could smell like foul old Ron. He could have used oil of scalatine as a deodorant. And, as that thought tripped through William's brain, he knew where Waffles was. 
Trixie Bell's ridiculous pink tail disappeared into the mass of old packing cases and cardboard known variously to the crew as what? Margaret, Patooey and Home. William's eyes were already watering. There wasn't much breeze down here. He made his way into the pool of firelight. Oh, good evening, gentlemen, he managed, nodding to the figures around the green-edged flames. Let's see the colour of your bit of paper, commanded the voice of Deep Bone from out of the shadows. It's, um, off-white, said William, unfolding the cheque. It was taken by the duckman, who scanned it carefully and added noticeably to its off-whiteness. "'It seems to be in order. Fifty dollars signed,' he said. "'I have explained the concept to my associates, Mr. DeWord. It was not easy, I have to tell you.' "'Yeah, and if you don't put up, we'll come to your house,' said Coffin Henry. "'Er, uh, and do what?' said William. "'Stand outside for ever and ever and ever,' said Arnold sideways. "'Looking at people in a funny way,' said the duckman. "'Gobbin on their boots,' said Coffin Henry. "'William tried not to think about Mrs Arcanum. "'He said, "'Now can I see the dog?' "'Shine, Ron,' commanded the voice of Deep Bone. "'Ron's heavy coat fell open, revealing Waffles blinking in the firelight. "'You had him,' said William. "'That was all there was to it. Bagrit. "'Who's going to search foul old Ron?' said Deep Bone. "'Good point,' said William. "'Very good point.' "'All smell him out.' "'Now, you've got to remember, he's old,' said Deep Bone, "'and he wasn't exactly Mr Brain to start with. "'I mean, we're talking dogs here. "'Not talking dogs,' said the voice hurriedly, "'but talking about dogs, I mean. "'So don't expect a philosophical treatise, is what I'm saying.' "'Waffles begged geriatrically when he saw William looking at him. "'How did he come to be with you?' said William, "'as Waffles sniffed his hand. "'He came running out of the palace straight under Ron's coat,' said Deep Bone. "'Which is, as you point out, the last place anyone would look,' said William. "'You'd better believe it.' "'And not even a werewolf would find him there.' "'William took out his notebook, turned to a fresh page, and wrote, "'Waffles.' "'He said, "'How old is he?' "'Waffles barked. Sixteen, said Deepbone. "'Is that important?' "'It's a newspaper thing,' said William. "'He wrote, "'Waffles, sixteen, formerly of the palace, Ankh-Morpork.' "'I'm interviewing a dog,' he thought. Man interviews dog. That's nearly news. So, uh, Waffles, what happened before you ran out of the palace? He said. Deep Bone from his hiding place whined and growled. Waffles cocked an ear and then growled back. He woke up and experienced a moment of horrible philosophical uncertainty, said Deep Bone. I thought you said, I'm translating, right? And this was on account of there being two gods in the room. That's Two Lord Veterinaries, Waffles being an old-fashioned kind of dog, but he knew one was wrong because he smelled wrong, and there were two other men, and then... William scribbled furiously. Twenty seconds later, Waffles bit him hard on the ankle. The clerk in Mr Slant's front office looked down from his high desk at the two visitors, sniffed and carried on with his laborious copper plate. He did not have a lot of time for the notion of customer service. The law could not be hurried. A moment later, his head was rammed into the desktop and held down by some enormous weight. Mr. Pin's face appeared in his limited vision. "'I said,' said Mr. Pin, "'that Mr. Slant wants to see us,' said the clerk. Mr. Pin nodded, and the pressure was relieved slightly. "'Sorry, you were saying,' said Mr. Pin, watching the man's hand creep along the edge of the desk. "'He's not seeing anyone!' 
The words ended in a muffled yelp. Mr. Pin leaned down. "'Sorry about the fingers,' he said. "'But we can't have them naughty little things creeping to that little lever down there, can we? "'No telling what might happen if you pulled that lever. "'Now, which one's Mr. Slant's office?' Second door on left!' the man groaned. "'See? It's so much nicer when we're polite. "'And in a week, two at the outside, you'll be able to pick up a pen again.' Mr. Pin nodded to Mr. Tulip, who let the man go. He slithered to the floor. "'You want I should ing-scrag him?' "'Leave him,' said Mr. Pin. "'I think I'm going to be nice to people today.' He had to hand it to Mr. Slant. When the new firm stepped into his office, the lawyer looked up and his expression barely flickered. "'Gentlemen,' he said. "'Don't press a ing-thing,' said Mr. Tulip. "'There's something you should know,' said Mr. Pin, pulling a box out of his jacket. "'And what is that?' said Mr. Slant. Mr. Pin flicked a catch on the side of the box. "'Let's hear about yesterday,' he said. The imp blinked. "'It said. "'It's just working its way backwards,' said Mr. Pin. "'What is this?' said the lawyer. "'Is valuable, Mr. Pin, so I will not spin this out. "'What did you do with the dog?' "'Mr. Pin's finger touched another lever. "'My clients have long memories and deep pockets. "'Other killers can be hired. Do you understand me?' "'There was a tiny ouch as the off-lever hit the imp on the head. "'Mr. Slant got up and walked across to an ancient cabinet. "'Would you like a drink, Mr. Pin?' "'I am afraid I have only embalming fluid.' "'Not yet, Mr. Slant. "'And I think I probably have a banana somewhere.' "'Mr. Slant turned, smiling beatifically, "'at the sound of the smack of Mr. Pin catching Mr. Tulip's arm. "'I told you I'm going to ink-kill him.' "'Too late, alas,' said the lawyer, sitting down again. "'Very well, Mr. Pin. "'This is about money, is it?' "'All widowed, "'plus another fifty thousand. "'But you haven't found the dog. "'Nor have the watch, and they've got a werewolf. "'Everyone's looking for the dog. "'The dog's gone, but that doesn't matter. "'This little box matters. "'That is very little in the way of evidence. "'Really? "'You asking us about the dog? "'Talking about killers? "'I reckon that Vime's character will niggle away at something like that. "'He doesn't sound like the sort to let things go.' Mr. Pin smiled humorlessly. "'You've got stuff on us, but, well, between you and me,' he leaned closer, "'some of the things we've done might be considered, well, tantamount to crimes.' "'All them ing murders for a start,' said Mr. Tulip, nodding. "'Which, since we are criminals, could be called typical behaviour, whereas,' Mr. Pin went on, "'you're a respectable citizen.' Doesn't look good. Respectable citizens getting involved in this sort of thing. People talk. To save misunderstandings, said Mr. Slant, I will do you a draft of... Jewels, said Mr. Pin. We like jewels, said Mr. Tulip. You have made copies of that thing, said Slant. I'm not saying anything, said Mr. Pin, who hadn't 
and didn't even know how. But he took the view that Mr. Slant was in no position to be other than cautious, and it looked as though Mr. Slant thought so too. "'I wonder if I can trust you,' said Mr. Slant, as if to himself. "'Well, you see, it's like this,' said Mr. Pin, as patiently as he could. His head was feeling worse. "'If news got around that we'd shopped a client, that wouldn't be good. People would say, "'You can't trust a person of that kind of ilk. "'They do not know how to behave. "'But if the people we deal with heard we'd scragged a client "'because the client had not played fair, "'then they would say to themselves, "'These are businessmen. "'They are businesslike. "'They do business.' "'He stopped and looked at the shadows in the corner of the room. "'And,' said Mr. Stunt, "'and, and, "'The hell with this,' said Mr. Pin, blinking and shaking his head. "'Give us the jewels, Slant, or Mr. Tulip will do the asking, understand? "'We're getting out of here with your damned dwarfs and your, your damned vampires and trolls and dead men walking. "'This city gives me the creeps, so give me the diamonds right now.' "'Very well,' said Mr. Slant. "'And the imp? It goes with us. "'We get caught. It gets caught. "'We die mysteriously. "'Then some people find out about things.' "'When we are safely away, you're in no position to argue, Slant,' Mr. Pin shuddered. "'I am not having a good day.' Mr. Slant pulled open a desk drawer and tossed three small velvet bags onto the leather top. Mr. Pin mopped his brow with a handkerchief. "'Take a look at him, Mr. Tulip.' There was a pause while both men watched Mr. Tulip pour the gems into one enormous palm. He scrutinised several through an eyeglass. He sniffed at them. He gingerly licked one or two. Then he picked four out of the heap and tossed them back to the lawyer. "'You think I'm some kind of an idiot?' he said. "'Don't even think of arguing,' said Mr. Pin. "'Perhaps the jewellers made a mistake,' said Mr. Slant. "'Yeah?' said Mr. Pin. His hand darted into his jacket again, but this time came out holding a weapon. Mr. Slant looked into the muzzle of a spring gone. It was technically and legally a crossbow, in that human strength compressed the spring, but it had been reduced by patient technology to a point where it was more or less a pipe with a handle and a trigger. Anyone caught with one by the Assassin's Guild, it was rumoured, would find its ability to be hidden on the human body tested to extremes. Any city watch that found one used against them would see to it that the offender's feet did not touch the ground, but instead swung gently as the breeze pushed them around. There must have been a switch in this desk too. A door flew open and two men burst in, one armed with two long knives, one with a crossbow. It was quite horrible, what Mr Tulip did to them. It was, in its way, a kind of skill. When an armed man runs into a room in the knowledge that there is going to be trouble, he needs a fraction of a second to assess, to decide, to calculate, to think. Mr Tulip didn't need a fraction of a second. He didn't think. His hands moved by themselves. It required, even for the calculating eyes of Mr Slant, a mental action replay. And even in the slow-mo of horror, it was hard to see Mr Tulip grab the nearest chair and swing it. At the end of the blur, two men lay unconscious, one with an arm twisted in a disconcerting way, and a knife was shuddering in the ceiling. Mr Pin hadn't turned round. He kept the gone pointed at the zombie. 
but he produced from a pocket a small cigarette lighter in the shape of a dragon. And then Mr. Slant. Mr. Slant, who crackled when he walked and smelled of dust. Mr. Slant saw, wrapped around the evil little bolt that just projected from the tube, a wad of cloth. Without taking his eyes off the lawyer, Mr. Pin applied the flame. The cloth flared, and Mr. Slant was very dry indeed. "'This is a bad thing I'm about to do,' Pin said, as if hypnotised. "'But I've done so many bad things, this one will hardly count. "'It's like a killing is a big thing, but another killing, that's kind of half the size, you know. "'So it's like when you've done twenty killings, they barely notice on average. "'But it's a nice day today. The birds is singing. "'There's stuff like kittens and stuff.' and the sun is shining off the snow, bringing the promise of spring to come with flowers and fresh grass and more kittens and hot summer days and the gentle kiss of the rain and wonderful clean things which you won't ever see if you don't give us what's in that drawer cos you'll burn like a torch, you double-dealing, twisty, dried-up, cheating son of a bitch. Mr Slant scrabbled in the drawer and threw down another velvet bag. Glancing nervously at his partner, who'd never even mentioned kittens before, except in the same sentence as water barrel, Mr Tulip took it and examined the contents. Rubies, he said, ain't good ones. Now go away from here, rasped Mr Slant. Right away. Never come back. I've never heard of you. I've never seen you. He stared at the spluttering flame. Mr. Slant had faced many bad things in the last few hundred years, but right now nothing seemed more menacing than Mr. Pin, or more erratically deranged either. The man was swaying, and his gaze kept flickering into the shadowy corners of the room. Mr. Tulip shook his partner's shoulder. Let's inscrag him and go, he suggested. Pin blinked. Right, he said, appearing to return to his own head. Right, he glanced at the zombie. "'I think I shall let you live today,' he said, blowing out the flame. "'Tomorrow? Who knows?' "'It wasn't a bad threat, but somehow his heart wasn't in it. "'Then the new firm had gone. "'Mr Slant sat down and stared at the closed door. "'It was clear to him, and a dead man has experience in these matters, "'that his two armed clerks, veterans of many a legal battle, were beyond help. "'Mr Tulip was an expert.' He took a sheet of writing paper from a drawer, wrote a few words in block letters, sealed it in an envelope and sent for another clerk. "'Have arrangements made,' he said, when the man stared at his fallen colleagues. "'And then take this to the word.' Uh, "'Which one, sir?' For a moment Slant had forgotten that point. "'Lord, the word,' he said. "'Definitely not the other one.' William de Word turned a page in his notebook and continued to scribble. The crew were watching him as if he was a public entertainment. "'That's a grand gift you have there, sir,' said Arnold sideways. "'It does the art good to see the pencil waggling like that. I wish I had the knowing of it, but I've never been mechanical.' "'Would you care for a cup of tea?' said the duckman. "'You drink tea down here?' "'Of course, why not? What kind of people do you think we are?' The duckman held up a blackened teapot and a rusty mug with an inviting smile. It was probably a good moment to be polite, thought William. Besides, the water would have been boiled, wouldn't it? No milk, though, he said quickly. 
He could imagine what the milk would be like. "'Ah, I said you were a gentleman,' said the duckman, pouring a tarry brown liquid into the mug. "'Milk in tea is an abomination.' He picked up, with a dainty gesture, a plate and pair of tongs. "'Slice of lemon,' he added. "'Lemon? You have lemon?' "'Oh, even Mr. Ron here would rather wash under his arms "'than have anything but lemon in his tea,' said the duckman, "'plopping a slice into William's mug. "'And four sugars,' said Arnold sideways. "'William took a deep draught of the tea. "'It was thick and stewed, but it was also sweet and hot, "'and slightly lemony. "'All in all,' he considered, "'it could have been much worse. "'Yes, we're very fortunate when it comes to slices of lemon,' "'said the duckman, busily fussing over the tea-things.' "'Why, it is indeed a bad day when we can't find two or three slices floating down the river.' William stared fixedly at the river wall. "'Spit or swallow,' he thought, the eternal conundrum. "'Are you all right, Mr. DeWord? Mm-hmm. "'Too much sugar? Mm-hmm. Not too hot.' William gratefully sprayed the tea in the direction of the river. "'Ah!' he said. "'Yes, too hot. That's what it was. Too hot.' "'Lovely tea, but too hot. "'I'll just put the rest down here by my foot to cool down, shall I?' "'He snatched up his pencil and pad. "'So, um, Waffles, which man was it that you bit on the leg?' "'Waffles barked. "'He bit all of them,' said the voice of Deep Bone. "'When you bite in, why stop? "'Would you know them if you bit them again?' "'He says he would. "'He says the big man tasted of, you know...' "'Deep Bone paused.' "'Like a what's name big, big bowl with hot water and soap in it. "'A bath?' Waffles growled. "'That'd be the word,' said Deep Bone. "'And the other one smelled of cheap hair oil. "'And when he looked like like Lord Veterinary, he smelled of wine.' "'Wine?' "'Yeah. Waffles also says he'd like to apologise for biting you just now, "'but he got carried away with the recollection. "'We, uh, oh, that is to say, dogs,' "'Have very physical memories, if you see what I mean.' "'William nodded and rubbed his leg. "'The description of the invasion of the Oblong office "'had been carried out in a succession of yelps, barks and growls, "'with Waffles running around in circles and snapping at his own tail "'until he bumped into William's ankle. "'And Ron's been carrying him around in his coat ever since. "'No one bothers foul old Ron,' said Deepbone. "'I believe you,' said William. "'He nodded at Waffles. "'I want to get an iconograph of him,' he said. This is amazing stuff, but we must have a picture to prove that I've really talked to Waffles. Well, via an interpreter, obviously. I wouldn't want people to think this is one of the Inquirer's stupid talking dog stories. There was some muttering among the crew. The request was not being favourably received. This is a select neighbourhood, you know, said the duckman. We don't allow just anybody down here. But there's a path running right under the bridge, said William. Anyone can walk right past. Well, yes said Coffin Henry. They could. He coughed and spat with great expertise into the fire. Only they don't know more. Bagrit, explained foul old Ron. Choking a tinker? Gone, I told him. Millennium and and shrimp. Then you'd better come back to the office with me, said William. After all, you've been carrying him around while you've been studying the papers, haven't you? Too dangerous now, said Deepbone. Would it be less dangerous for another fifty dollars, said William? "'Another fifty dollars?' said Arnold sideways. "'That'll make it fifteen dollars.' "'A hundred dollars,' said William wearily. 
You do realise, don't you, that this is in the public interest? The crew craned their necks. Don't see anyone watching, said Coffin Henry. William stepped forward, quite accidentally knocking over his tea. Come on, then, he said. Mr Tulip was beginning to worry now. This was unusual. In the area of worry, he had tended to be the cause rather than the recipient. But Mr Pin was not acting right. And since Mr Pin was the man who did the thinking, this was a matter of some concern. Mr Tulip was good at thinking in split seconds, and when it came to art appreciation, he could easily think in centuries. But he was not happy over middle distances. He needed Mr Pin for that. But Mr Pin was talking to himself and kept staring at shadows. "'We'll be heading off now,' said Mr Tulip, in the hope of directing matters. "'We've got the ing payment with a ing big bonus, so no ing pointing hanging around.' He was also worried about the way Mr Pin had acted with the ing lawyer. It wasn't like him to point a weapon at someone and then not use it. The new firm didn't go round threatening people. They were the threat. All that ing stuff about letting you live for today, that was amateur stuff. "'I said, are we heading?' What do you think happens to people when they die, Tulip? Mr Tulip was taken aback. What kind of ink question is that? You know what happens. Do I? Certainly. Remember when we had to leave that guy in that ink barn and it was a week before we got the burying properly? Remember how his... I don't mean bodies. Ah, oh, religion stuff then, eh? Yes. I never worry about that ink stuff. Never? Never... Ing, give it a thought. I've got my potato. Then Mr Tulip found that he'd walked a few feet alone because Mr Pin had stopped dead. Potato. Oh, yeah. Keep it on a string round me neck. Mr Tulip tapped his huge chest. And that's religious? Well, yeah. If you've got your potato when you die, everything'll be OK. What religion is that? Dunno. Never ran across it outside our village. I was only a kid. I mean, it's like gods, right? When you're a kid, they say, that's God, that is. Then you grow up and you find there's ing millions of them. Same with religion. And it's all OK if you have a potato when you die? Yep. You're allowed to come back and have another life. Even if... Mr Pin swallowed, for he was in territory which had never before existed on his internal atlas. Even if you've done things which people might think were bad... Like chopping up people and ing shoving them off cliffs. Yeah, that kind of thing. Mr Tulip sniffed, causing his nose to flash. Well, it's OK as long as you're really ing sorry about it. Mr Pin was amazed and a little suspicious, but he could feel things catching up. There were faces in the darkness and voices on the cusp of hearing. He dared not turn his head now in case he saw anything behind him. You could buy a sack of potatoes for a dollar. It works, he said. Sure. Back home, people have been doing it for hundreds of ing years. They wouldn't be doing it if it didn't ing work, would they? Where was that? Mr Tulip tried to concentrate on this question, but there were many scabs in his memory. There was forests, he said, and bright candles, he muttered, and secrets, he added staring into nothing. And potatoes. Mr Tulip came back to the here and now. Yeah, them, he said. Always lots of ing potatoes. If you've got your potato, it'll be all right. 
I thought you had to pray in deserts and go to a temple every day and sing songs and give stuff to the poor. Oh, you can do all that, sure, said Mr Tulip. Just so long as you've got your ing potato. And you come back alive, said Mr Pin, still trying to find the small print. Sure. No point in coming back dead. Who'd notice the indifference? Mr Pin opened his mouth to reply, and Mr Tulip saw his expression change. Someone's got their hand on my shoulder, he hissed. You feeling all right, Mr Pin? You can't see anyone? No. Clenching his fists, Mr Pin turned round. There were plenty of people in the street, but no one gave him a second glance. He tried to recognise the jigsaw that his mind was rapidly becoming. OK, OK, he said. What we'll do, we'll go back to the house, OK, and, and we'll get the rest of the diamonds, and we'll scrag Charlie, and, and we'll find a vegetable shop. Any special kind of potato? No. Right. But first... Mr Pin stopped, and his mind's ear heard footsteps stop behind him a moment later. The damn vampire had done something to him, he knew. The darkness had been like a tunnel, and there had been... things. Mr Pin believed in threats and in violence, and at a time like this he believed in revenge. An inner voice that currently passed for sanity was making a clamour, but it was overruled by a deeper and more automatic response. That bloody vampire did this, he said. And killing a vampire? Hey, that's practically good, right? He brightened. Salvation beckoned through holy works. Everyone knows they have evil occult powers. Could even count in a man's favour, eh? Yeah, but who cares? I do. OK. Even Mr Tulip didn't argue with that tone of voice. Mr Pin could be inventively unpleasant. Besides, part of the code was that you did not leave an insult unavenged. Everyone knew that. It was just that nervousness was beginning to percolate even into the bath-salt-and-worming-powder-ravaged pathways of his own brain. He'd always admired the way Mr Pin wasn't frightened of difficult things like long sentences. What are we use? he said. A steak? No, said Mr Pin. With this one, I want to be certain. He lit a cigarette with a hand that shook just a little and then let the match flare up. Ah! Right, said Mr Tulip. Let's just do it, said Mr Pin. Rocky's brow furrowed as he looked at the seals nailed around the doors of the DeWord townhouse. What's them things, he said. They're to say the guilds will interest themselves in anyone who breaks in, said Sacharissa, fumbling with the key. It's a sort of curse, only it works. That one's the assassins said the troll, indicating a crude shield with the cloak and dagger and double cross. Yes, it means there's an automatic contract out on anyone who breaks in. Wouldn't want them interested in me. Good job you got a key. The lock clicked. The door opened at a push. Sacharissa had been in a number of Ankh-Morpork's great houses when the owners had thrown parts of them open to the public in aid of some of the more respectable charities. She hadn't realised how a building could change when people no longer wanted to live in it. It felt threatening and out of scale. The doorways were too big, the ceilings too high. The musty, empty atmosphere descended on her like a headache. Behind her, Rocky lit a couple of lanterns, but even their light left her surrounded by shadows. 
At least the main staircase wasn't hard to find, and William's hasty directions led her to a suite of rooms bigger than her house. The wardrobe, when she found it, was simply a room full of rails and hangers. Things glittered in the room. The dresses also smelled strongly of mothballs. "'That's interesting,' said Rocky behind her. "'Oh, it's just to keep the moths away,' said Sacharissa. "'I'm looking at all the footprints,' said the troll. "'They were in the hall, too.' She tore her gaze away from the rows of dresses and looked down. The dust was certainly disturbed. "'Um, cleaning lady,' she said. "'Someone must come in to keep an eye on things.' "'What she do? Kick the dust to death?' "'I suppose there must be caretakers and things,' said Sacharissa uncertainly. A blue dress was saying, "'Wear me, I'm just your type. See me shimmer.' Rocky prodded a box of mothballs that had spilled out across a dressing-table and rolled into the dust. "'Looks like them moths are really keen on these things,' he said. "'You don't think a dress like this would be a bit... forward, do you?' said Sacharissa, holding the dress against herself. Rocky looked worried. He hadn't been hired for his dress sense, and certainly not for his grasp of colloquial middle class. "'You're quite a lot forward already,' he opined. "'I meant make me look like a fast woman.' "'All right,' said Rocky, getting there. "'No, definitely not.' "'Really?' "'Sure. No one could run much in a dress like that.' Sacharissa gave up. "'I suppose Mrs. Hotbed could let it out a bit,' she said reflectively. "'It was tempting to stay, because some of the racks were quite full, "'but she felt like a trespasser here, "'and part of her was certain that a woman with hundreds of dresses "'was more likely to miss one than a woman with a dozen or so. "'In any case, the empty darkness was getting on her nerves. "'It was full of other people's ghosts. "'Let's get back.' "'When they were halfway across the hall, someone started to sing.' The words were incoherent, and the tune was being modulated by alcohol, but it was singing of a sort, and it was under their feet. Rocky shrugged when Sacharissa glanced at him. "'Maybe all dem moths is having a ball,' he said. "'There must be a caretaker, mustn't there? Maybe we'd better just, you know, mention we've been here,' Sacharissa agonised. "'It hardly seems polite, just taking things and running.' She headed for a green door tucked away beside the staircase and pushed it open. The singing went louder for a moment, but stopped as soon as she said, "'Excuse me,' into the darkness. After a few moments' silence, a voice said, "'Hello! How are you? I'm fine!' Uh, "'It's only, um, me?' "'William said it was all right.' She presented the statement like a question, in the voice of someone who was apologising to a burglar for discovering him. "'Mr. Mothball knows whoops!' said the voice in the shadows at the bottom of the stairs. "'Um, are you all right?' "'Can't get... it's... <laughs> it's all chains. <laughs> "'Are you ill?' "'No, I'm fine. Not ill at all. "'Just had a few too many.' "'Few too many what?' said Sacharissa, "'speaking from a sheltered upbringing. "'Was a, a things you put drinks in barrels? "'Your trunk? "'That's right. That's the word. "'Drunk as a uh, thing.' "'Smelly thing!' <laughs> "'There was a tinkle of glass. "'The lantern's weak glow showed what looked like a wine cellar, "'but a man was slumped on a bench against one wall "'and a chain ran from his ankle to a ring set in the floor. "'Are you a prisoner?' said Sacharissa. <laughs> <laughs> 
How long have you been down here? She crept down. Years. Years? Got lots of years. The man picked up a bottle and peered at it. Now, year of the amending camel? That was bloody good year. And this one, year of the translated rat, another bloody good year. Bloody good years, a lot of them. Could do with a biscuit, though. Saccharis's knowledge of vintages extended just as far as knowing that Chateau Maison was a very popular wine. But people didn't have to be chained up to drink wine, even the stuff from Ephebe that stuck the glass to the table. She moved a little closer and the light fell on the man's face. It was locked in the grin of the seriously drunk, but it was very recognisable. She saw it every day. On coins. Um, Rocky, she said, um... "'Can you come down here a minute?' "'The door burst open, and the troll came down the steps at speed. "'Unfortunately, it was because he was rolling. "'Mr Tulip appeared at the top of the stairs, massaging his fist. "'It's Mr Sneezy,' said Charlie, raising a bottle. "'The gang's all here. Whoopee!' "'Rocky got up, weaving slightly. "'Mr Tulip strolled down the steps, ripping out the doorpost as he passed.' The troll raised his fists in the classic boxer's pose, but Mr Tulip didn't bother with niceties of that kind and hit him hard with the length of ancient wood. Rocky went over like a tree. Only then did the huge man with the revolving eyes try to focus them on Saccharissa. "'Oh, the ing hell are you!' "'Don't you swear at me!' she said. "'How dare you swear in the presence of a lady!' This seemed to nonplus him. "'I don't ing swear!' Here, I've seen you before. You're that... I knew you weren't a proper virgin, said Saccharissa triumphantly. There was the click of a crossbow. Some tiny sounds carry well and have considerable stopping power. There are some thoughts too dreadful to think, said the skinny man, looking at her from the top of the steps and down the length of a pistol bow. What are you doing here, lady? And you were Brother Pin. You haven't got any right here. I've got a key. Some areas of Saccharis's mind that dealt with things like death and terror were signalling to be heard at this point, but, being part of Saccharissa, they were trying to do it in a ladylike way, and so she ignored them. A key, said Brother Pin, advancing down the stairs. The bow stayed pointing at her. Even in his current state of mind, Mr Pin knew how to aim. Who'd give you a key? Don't you come near me. Don't you dare come near me. If you come near me, I'll... I'll write it down. Yeah, well, one thing I know is words don't hurt, said Mr Pin. I've heard lots of... He stopped and grimaced, and for a moment it looked as if he'd fall to his knees. He righted himself and focused on her again. You are coming with us, he said. And don't say you're going to scream, because we're all alone here, and I've heard lots of screams. Once again he seemed to run down, and again he recovered. Saccharissa stared in horror at the weaving crossbow. Those parts of her advocating silence as a survival aid had finally made themselves heard. What about these two? said Mr Tulip. We're scragging them now. Chain them up and leave them. But we always... Leave them. You sure you feel all right? said Mr. Tulip. No, I don't. Just leave them. OK, we haven't got time. We've got lots of... 
I haven't. Mr. Pin strode up to Sakarissa. Who gave you that key? I'm not going to... Do you want Mr. Tulip here to say goodbye to our drunken friends? In his buzzing head, and with his shaky grasp of how things were supposed to work in a moral universe, Mr. Pin reckoned that this was all right. After all, their shadows would follow Mr. Tulip, not him. This house belongs to Lord de Word, and his son gave me the key, said Sakarissa triumphantly. There, he was the one you met at the newspaper. Now you know what you got yourself into, eh? Mr. Pin stared at her. Then he said, I'm going to find out. Don't run. Really, don't scream. Walk normally and everything... <laughs> he paused. I was going to say it will be all right, he said. But that would be silly, wouldn't it? End of CD 8